trust and obey. My grandfather, um, I think it was one of his favorite songs. I don't know to be sure about that. It was one of my favorites to hear him and my grandmother sing as they played the piano. He played the piano and she would sing behind him or vice versa. didn't matter. Um, but they loved to sing, trust, and obey. And I think for the most part that carried them through their life. They uh, lived that saying. They lived that song. And I can remember as a young child at five and six, um, my grandfather was a pastor at West Bronston Baptist Church in Somerset, Kentucky. And he would get up and he would go over to the piano and he was gifted to play by ear and he would just sit down and begin to play and my grandmother would sing. And um, this was one of the songs that they would sing was Trust and Obey. And so from a very, very short lad, from a very young man, I can remember that song and uh, it has stuck with me ever since then. And the message is simple. The message is easy. Trust and obey. It's easy enough, right? Trust and obey. And so that's what he calls us to. He calls us to a life of obedience. Let's move to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 8. We're going to finish this chapter out uh, today, and we will be moving on to the conversion of Saul later next week, or next week rather. But uh, we're going to finish this out today. And I just want to say, last week, you know, when we look at this Ethiopian eunuch, um, in this text, we see something that is so special and so beautiful. We see God's electing love pour out on this man, this one individual. He sends a, he sends a deacon from a very prosperous town in Samaria to go out into the middle of the desert to minister to one guy, one man, one soul. But that's typical of the Lord, isn't it? That he leaves the ninety and nine and goes... To the one. He found the woman at the well. There by herself, right? He went to the one. The scripture even says, which it obviously was the quicker route, no doubt, through Samaria. But he says, I must needs go through Samaria. Why was that? Because one of his elect was there. And so he goes there to present himself to her. And here it is, it is no different in the text uh, and this is what I told you last week. I didn't get to it. But the third point of my text was God's electing love. We see that in this passage of Scripture. It's so, it, it, I mean, it's, it is absolutely beautiful how the Lord would choose this eunuch, this Ethiopian eunuch, to, to be one of his adopted children. Can we all see that? Is that all evident to everybody? That there isn't a coincidence, that it wasn't just happenstance? Uh, before we move on and get into this baptism, can we see that this electing love found this man out in the desert? Philip goes and he preaches and this man is saved. Can we all agree with that? All right, good. Let's move on. Listen to what it says in 36. It says... And as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, see, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? Let's get right into the text. 
Philip had just witnessed to this man about the Christ through a lot of Old Testament prophecy, right? Y'all going to have to talk to me. Y'all hear me? He had just, I know it's been hot. It has been very, very hot. But we got air conditioner, so y'all just be with me this morning. He had just spent the time riding with this man, sharing Christ with this man through the Old Testament, what? Prophecies. The book of Isaiah, the scrolls of Isaiah. But not only that, Philip obviously makes a very compelling stance on the ordinances of the church. Now, does it say that he preached about the ordinances of the church? No, not at all. But does it have to say it that we know that it happened? No, it doesn't. We know that he preached on the ordinances of of the church because here in this text, the eunuch stops the chariot and he says, what prevents me from being baptized? Well, baptism was New Testament. Why would he want to be baptized unless Philip had very clearly explained to him the ordinances of the church? We don't read anything about it, but we can conclude that Philip did teach him about baptism, and we know that Philip did. So I'm going to give you four things um, really quick about that and about that baptism today. I'm going to give you four things, and I want you to write them down if you have a pen. First, not just any baptism. It wasn't just any baptism. If you Google this story on the internet, one of which you'll find is that the LGBTQ has now claimed this story that the eunuch was a queer. Fact. You Google it. Please don't do it now. Please don't do that now. Um, But the LGBTQ community has kind of grabbed this as their own way of saying that this man was a homosexual. And we know it's simply not true. We know what he was. But that's going to get off on another topic there, so I'm going to focus back in. But it wasn't just about, it wasn't just any baptism, but it was a baptism of full submersion. We see that in the text, don't we? We see it in 38 and 39. Listen to what he says. And he commanded the chariot to stop. And this goes completely completely against sprinkling. It goes completely against just a a drizzling of, of water over one's head. It goes completely against that. Philip taught very clearly that it must be full submersion. Full submersion. Listen to 38 and 39. And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water. Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. This was not just some little bit of water. This wasn't just a drizzling. This was a full submersion, because you see that they went down into it, and then that they came out of it. Well, one of them did. Came out of the water. And so it was full submersion, a showing of full pardon, a showing of full redemption, showing that he had been buried in Christ and raised as a new creation in Christ Jesus. And this is what baptism shows us. This is also an ordinance of the church. This is what Philip was teaching this man. And this is how it's always been. Second, we see uh, baptism 
We see a baptism that is guarded, a baptism that is guarded and protected by the minister. Guarded and protected by the minister. A person must not enter into the baptismal waters unless that person is saved. We also see in Corinthians about uh, taking communion, the second ordinance of the church about taking communion. One must not take it in an improper way. Those that are lost have no business entering into the baptismal waters, nor do they have business taking communion. Plain and simple. It's guarded and it's protected by the preacher. The eunuch asks, what prevents me? As if to say, what's holding me back from doing this? As if to say, it is something that is protected. Why? Because it is very special. It is identifying with Christ Jesus in his death, burial, and resurrection. This is what baptism is. And so he says, what prevents me? And Philip says this in 37. Some Bibles have it, some don't. But I'm reading it out of my ESV. It's in my side notes. This is what it says. If you believe with all your heart, you may be. If you believe with all your heart, you may And if that's the case, we can conclude that also to mean if you do not believe with all your heart, then you are prevented from being baptized. So it is something that is guarded, and it it rightfully so. It's not good just to run people through the baptistry just to do it. Brother Boyd used to talk about that quite a bit. Run them through the baptistry and 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 just leave them alone after that. Y'all remember that? So it's guarded. It would be just as easy to say, if you've not believed with your whole heart, then no, eunuch, this is not for you. So unbelief would prevent him from this. But that wasn't the case, was it? It wasn't the case. So it's for those that have been saved by grace through faith alone. This is who it's for. Third, baptism was this man's great profession of faith, without a doubt. Now, it just mentions uh, the chariot driver. It mentions Philip, and it mentions the Ethiopian eunuch. It doesn't mention anybody else. I do believe, however, taking a trip of this size, of such a great undertaking, would mean that there would be several people there with Philip and with the eunuch not just the one that he told to stop the chariot. So given that being said, uh, it was a great profession of faith. This faith was shown to the deacon. It was shown to the chariot driver and anybody else in their company. So it was shown to. So therefore, it was a witness to others, a great profession. And this is what baptism is, is it not? It's our great profession of faith when we share with the world what the Lord has done for us. The eunuch was excited. He was obedient. He had an urgency to fulfill the word of God. Now, why would he do this? Because the preacher had told him about all of God's ordinances, told him about everything that he needed to do. So he's trying to obey 
the word of God. He's trying to obey what Philip is telling him. Listen to verse 37. And Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he replied, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Some of you don't have that one. Uh, Some of you do. Let's move on to 38. He commanded the chariot to stop and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the waters, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. So let's move away from the baptism for just a moment. And as we're wrapping up this, uh, this story, let's go on to this moving of Philip 30 miles away. And I think you'll find it pretty interesting. Uh, this moving of Philip 30 miles away from his current position. Let's look at that. And so we're, what we're going to do is we're going to kind of wrap up this text. And we've got a lot of different things that's going to come out here. So just bear with me. Listen to what it says in 39. And when they came up out of the waters, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. What does that mean? That he was no more. He was gone. He was out of there, baby. He was gone. So the eunuch didn't see him anymore. What in the world just happened? This is, this is very profound, and we see this in God's Word. What happened in, our, in, in the Word of God and why? What in the world just happened and why? This is rare. This is a big rarity in God's Word to see this. You see it in just a couple of places. We see Jesus do this multiple times because he's Jesus. <laughs> But we see it with Elijah. But this man is picked up and carried away. The Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away is what 39 says. The text is to snatch up or to pick up, to carry away. The other place we see this, what I mentioned earlier, was with Elijah in 2 Kings chapter 2, 1 through 12. We're going to read that here in just a moment, by the way. So if you have uh, some notes, you want to write that down and go ahead and turn there. 2 Kings chapter 2, 1 through 12, because I'm going to be bringing that up and making a point from that instance. In this instance, Elijah was taken up or snatched up taken from the earth and carried into glory without seeing death. And we know the story about that. I'm going to read it. We know the story about that. Now I want you to know this. According to Acts, Philip landed safely in Azotus. Safely in Azotus. But the fact stands, it was the Lord that moved him. Says it clearly that the Holy Spirit did what? That the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. He basically teleported where Elijah was beamed up. (laughs) You understand what I'm telling you? (laughs) You understand what I'm telling you? And so I know this is hard for us to wrap our brains around, but but the Lord is in the heavens and he does whatever he pleases, right? So so we have to to go with that. Um, And here's where the naysayers, here's where the naysayers are going to have to have a, they're going to have a really hard time with this text. Really hard time. 
Because there are just some things in Scripture that can be grasped only by faith. For instance, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's one Scripture that can only be grasped by faith. You either believe it or you don't. Right or wrong. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. You either believe that or you don't. Why would it be so hard for the Spirit to move a man 30 miles when the Lord spoke everything into existence in six days? Well, it wouldn't be. And so we have to, we have to see here that there's nothing impossible for God. Robert, I want you to stand up for just a moment. Turn around. William A. made this shirt. This is actually in my notes today. Look at what this shirt says. With God, all things are possible. You see that? Even the moving of a man 30 miles through air to another destination. With God, all things are possible. If you say it's not logical, if you say it's not reasonable to believe he teleported... It also wasn't logical or reasonable to, to believe that the Lord would move him from Samaria where he was having all that success to take him to one man out in the desert. Now that doesn't make any sense to me. But he did. So if he took one man and moved him into the desert to... To share Christ with the Ethiopian eunuch, why would it be so hard to believe that he could take that same man and transport him to another town? Well, the truth is, is that it's, it's not that hard to believe. When we begin to limit God and his power is when we begin to not believe these things. But when we believe that God is all-powerful omnipotent if we believe that all things are possible with him then we can see clearly that well this is this is a walk in the park for the lord so it's nothing truly to be debated really so, but when it comes right down to it you either believe it or you don't fact is the spirit carried him to azotus and i believe that the Spirit actually did carry him to Azotus. First, let me give you some facts here, or some of, some of my thoughts. First, I can see where it saved Philip some time. <laughs> that was a joke. It's supposed to be funny, guys. How would it be to be 30 miles away just like that? It would be nice, right? How many people have ever wished that? Boy, if I could just be there right now. Yeah, so, I mean, it saved him some time. It was a joke. Second, I can see where, second, I can see where he had work to do in Azotus or Ashdod. That was the principal city for the Philistines back in the day. A lot of idolatry there. It was also a, a very key shipping area all the way up the coast from there to Joppa to, uh, to Caesarea was a very, very wealthy. These were wealthy places where, where there was a lot of shipping lanes coming in and out. And so 
Obviously, the Lord strategically placed him in this position to go ahead of Peter and to begin to do work there in that region. Um, Third, and truly I think this is the part of the reason it wasn't necessarily for Philip. Third, the reason why I believe he, he did this, the reason why this was done, that this teleporting took place, was it not wasn't necessarily for Philip, but more so for the eunuch. So often after we read 39, we forget about the eunuch, don't we? We focus and we key in on Philip being an Azotus. What in the world just happened? Oh man, he's 30 miles away. He's in Azotus. The Spirit carried him away. We forget about the eunuch. But we can't do that. We can't forget about the eunuch. The Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. And listen to what it says after that. And the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way doing what? Rejoicing. So many people forget about this man going on his way rejoicing. The eunuch had to have known at the sudden disappearance of Philip that the Lord was at work. Truly, he had to have known that, right? I mean, I would have known that. What would it have done for me? First off, it probably would have scared me just a little bit to be in the desert and then to see somebody and then not to see them is... is here today and gone a second later, that's pretty weird. But if you think about it, if you think about it, what had just taken place is they had went down in the baptismal waters. This man was zealous. He was obedient to do what Philip was telling him according to the word. They come up out of the water and this Philip had disappeared in the thin air. I believe this greatly would have encouraged this man. That at his baptism, something this neat and something, you got to admit it, this is cool, right? Everybody, I mean, you have to admit it. It's cool that the Spirit carried him away. This would have encouraged this eunuch. It would have encouraged me. Because I would have known that only the Lord could do something like this. And so don't forget about the eunuch when it comes to them disappearing. Listen to what it says in 2 Kings. Turn with me if you can for just a moment. I ain't got much more. Um, About another three quarters of a page. So y'all just bear with me. 2 Kings, turn with me there, please. Chapter 2. I'm going to read this section of Scripture because I want us to see. Something else happens with Elijah. Elijah, when he leaves, someone also is left behind. Right? Which is Elisha. And we're going to look at Elisha and what happens to Elisha very quickly and what his attitude was. And like like Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, we we spend so much time on him moving 30 miles miraculously that we forget about the eunuch that was left behind. Well, here is the same case. We forget about Elisha who is left behind. We forget about what he was going through. And so when we compare these two together, I think that you're going to find some things pretty, pretty neat. Listen to what it says in chapter 2 and verse 1. 
In 2 Kings, now when the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven by a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. And Elijah said to Elisha, please stay here for the Lord has sent me as far as Bethel. But Elisha said, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. And the sons of the prophets who were in Bethel came out to Elisha and said to him, And this happens a couple of different times. He says, do you know that today the Lord will take away your master from over you? These sons of the prophets come out and they see Elijah and they say, don't you know this? That the Lord is going to take, that the Lord is going to take your master from over you? And he said, yes, I know it. Keep quiet. Yes, I know it. Keep quiet. He didn't want to think about it. And it's going to hurt his heart and it's going to break his heart, but ultimately it's going to encourage him. Listen to what it says in verse 4. Elijah said to him, Elisha, please stay here for the Lord has sent me to Jericho. But he said, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they came to Jericho. The sons of the prophets, here they come again, who were at Jericho, drew near to Elisha and said to him, do you know that today the Lord will take away your master from over you? Elisha, at the second time, he answered, yes, I know it. Keep quiet. Verse 6. Then Elisha said to him, please stay here for the Lord has sent me to the Jordan. But he said, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So the two of them went on. Fifty men of the sons of the prophets also went and stood at some distance from them. And as they were standing by the Jordan, then Elijah took his cloak and rolled it up and struck the water. And the water was parted to the one side and to the other till the two of them could go over on dry ground. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, Ask what I shall do for you before I am taken from you. And Elisha said, Please let me, let there be a double portion of your spirit on me. So he looked at Elijah, this mentor of his who was, who was leading and guiding him, and he says, Elijah, what you have, I want double of. I want double of it. Verse 10, and he said, you have asked a hard thing. Listen to what it says. Yet if you see me as I am being taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if you do not see me, it shall not be so. Verse 11. And as they still went on and talked, behold, chariots of fire and horses of fire separated the two of them. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. Which is pretty cool. The Lord comes and gets him, right? He was, he was no more. The chariots came and got him. And these chariots of fire Whirled him up in a whirlwind all the way up into glory and Elisha saw him no more. But who was left behind? Elisha. Elisha. Listen to what it says. Now he he cried and he was sad about this. But ultimately it would prove to encourage him and to bless him. And so, so often we forget, about, we forget about the one that is left behind who is able to be with that special person. Listen to what it says. And Elisha saw it and he cried, My father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. And he saw him no more. 
Then he took hold of his own clothes and tore them in two pieces. And he took up the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. Then he took the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him and struck the water saying, Where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? And when he had struck the water, the water was parted to the side and to the other. And Elisha went over. That is the story in a nutshell of Elijah and Elisha and that transfer of power. My point is that Elisha was left behind and my point is that this Ethiopian eunuch was left behind. And in both of those situations, it was for their encouragement. It was for their lifting up, their building up and not tearing down. It was something that, that it was, it was an, an encouraging thing for both of these men. Elisha came away with a double portion and the eunuch came away with a disappearance of the man that baptized him as he went on his way rejoicing and sharing the gospel in Africa all the way to modern day Sudan. Fourth, Why did he teleport? Why was he carried away? Answer. Really simple. Why not? (laughs) Why not? Why not? As I said before, Psalms teaches us, and we have to leave it at this. Our God is in the heavens, and he what? Does what he pleases. So we see that in our text. The Lord's in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases. Let's move on and finish this out really quick. 39, and went on his way rejoicing. Where did he go? Where did he go? He went on his way rejoicing, the Ethiopian eunuch. Where did he go? He went back to his land. He went back to Africa. He went back to Ethiopia, which is modern-day Sudan, to the queen, to still be the treasurer over her court, Queen Candace, which was a name given to the queens of that region. It wasn't necessarily her name, but it was one given to her because that's what they called them, or Candake, K-A-N-D-A-K-E. That's what they called him. And so he goes back and he went on his way rejoicing. Goes back into modern day Sudan and he rejoices. As the first African convert, full of zeal and influence, rejoicing going back into Africa. And I have no doubt that when he went, it doesn't tell us that he shared the gospel, but simply from his witness and through him rejoicing, I mean, after all, at Acts chapter 2, that's exactly what the people from all the different nations, that's what they saw the apostles doing. They saw them rejoicing and prophesying about the wonderful works of God. And so we can see here that this Ethiopian eunuch would have been doing uh, the same thing as he went into Africa. He would have been sharing the love of Christ. He would have been showing others and rejoicing about what had taken place with him in the desert. Verse 40. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came 
to Caesarea. And so this is the end of this story. This is the end of the text. So Philip goes from Jerusalem. I want you to see how the Lord does things. Listen to this. He goes from Jerusalem. Then he goes to Samaria, which is a, just a miracle in itself that he had the, the, you know, the, the response that he did in Samaria. And then the Lord sends him to Gaza, to the desert. And he walks there and he gets there and he meets up with this Ethiopian eunuch. And after he is baptized, the Lord then miraculously moves him to Azotus 30 miles away. After that, he would be found in Joppa and then in Caesarea. Um, It says, to spread the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. And so this man, Philip... It's almost a full circle if you look at it on a map. This man, Philip, the Lord took and moved him, and he was willing to go. And to the places that he went, he preached the gospel until he came to Caesarea. And this is where he basically settles down at. You see later on in the account when the Apostle Paul is given back to the, to the, uh, the brethren in Acts 21, he says that, that um, Philip... And his four daughters who were virgins took in, took them in and allowed them to stay there with them. And that was in Caesarea. And so he settles down there with his family who would later welcome the Apostle Paul to stay with him and his four daughters. And so that's the story of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. Um, If I had to put this in a nutshell and, and truly show us what's going on in this text... The best way I can say it would be that, that God's sovereign hand was all over this. Turn with me to Acts chapter 9 very quickly. Or not Acts chapter 9. Uh, Romans. Romans chapter 9. This is the passage because it, you know, truly, I've been asking myself the question, why, Lord, Why? Why? Why would you do this? Why would you send this man, this deacon, into the desert? Why would you show your love and shadow and or, or shower your love on this one in particular person in the desert? Why would you put that between this great success in Samaria and the Apostle Paul's conversion? What what are you trying to show us here? Why? And the thing that I come back to is truly that it's God's sovereign choice. And that it's His will. Why not? Listen to what he says in Acts chapter, or uh, I'm sorry, Romans chapter 9. And he's right here and it says uh, in verse 9. Verse 8, this means that it is not the children of flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as offspring. For this is what the promise said, about this time next year I will return and Sarah shall have a son. And not only so, but also when Rebekah had conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac, though they, though they were not yet born and had not and had done nothing either good or bad in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls. 
She was told the older will serve the younger, as it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? Heavens, no, by no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy. Listen to this. And this is yesterday, Casey and I were driving, and I was at the store. We were going into, it might have been Friday. Um, we were going into Why Not Stop, and this is what came to my heart. The Lord began to minister to my heart when I began to ask why. And verse 15 is what it was. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. And I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. And today I praise God that he had mercy and compassion on me. A sinner that did not deserve any of his righteous love. But he bestowed it upon me freely. And so today, what I take away from this story is that What he showered upon the Ethiopian eunuch, he has also showered upon each and every one of us who have believed in him to the saving of the soul. Amen? Let's pray.